Hey guys, it's Megan with the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. How are you today? Hope you guys are all having a great day. If you are new here, welcome to the show. In the past, we've done in-depth Bible studies. We just finished the book of Hebrews. And um, I like to say that we look at the author's original purpose, his intent, and who he was talking to, you know, all the background there. And then we look for practical application for our lives today. Um, Sometimes we have guest interviews on here and we have other Christians who have something to share, something that they want to tell others about. Or, um, you know, in the past we've had like authors, we've had musicians, um, just business owners, like Christian entrepreneurs who have interesting things that they do. Uh, So, you you know, we kind of do a, a whole wide gamut of things. Like I said, we just finished up Hebrews 13 last week and I was sitting down thinking about what we were going to do next. And I just wasn't ready yet to dive into another book. So I thought we might do a little tough topics discussion today. It's a personal one for me. So I'm feeling this just as much as you guys are. Everything I say, I'm reflecting back to myself today. And, you know, it's just, it's a tough topic. I recently did an interview with Tammy McDonald for her show. And once that is published and out, I'll, I'll share it with all of you on my social media pages. But our main discussion point was how my divorce affected my faith. Maybe that should be switched around. Maybe it should be that how my faith affected my divorce. But I was thinking back on that interview and then thinking about what we read last week in Hebrews chapter 13, all of that marriage advice piece in there. And I was just hit with how many people must be hurting from divorce. You know, it just seems to be such a taboo topic for churches in general. I don't really know why. We talk about so many other sins in the church and, you know, our pastors and our ministers, they, they, you know, they talk about those and they make you aware of those. And then they talk about the, um, you know, kind of how to work through those. And, and, and we don't talk about divorce. We just don't. So I thought I would start by sharing just a little statistic here. And I, so I looked back on it's overeasy.com. And so there's just some insight statistics. It's really strange. A lot of their statistics they give here exclude California, Indiana, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. I have no idea why. But uh, in 2000, four people per 1,000, not including those four states I just mentioned, were divorced that year. And the CDC reported that in 2018, there were 782,038 divorces. So that means that there are 1,564,076 divorced people in 2018. That's a lot of people. Like, I'm not sure how we as a church aren't addressing this because you know, it, it hurts. It's a rough thing to go through. And so I, I also thought I would maybe just start by sharing my own story with you guys because not only does divorce hurt, if you're a Christian and you're going through a divorce and, and you go to church, if your church isn't helpful through that process, it can be really detrimental to that person's faith. And, and I wanted to share a little bit about that today because I, I, I have a really kind of bizarre story that, you know, when I, when I share it with people, they're always like, what, that happened? And like, yeah, so and if it's happened to me, it's not, it's not just me. You know, there are other people out there who are, who are going through similar things. So I just thought I would start by, by sharing my my own personal story. And, you know, I'm not going to go through all the, uh, the nitty gritty of the divorce. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, belabor you with all of those details, but so I got divorced about, well, 
10 years ago now. It's a long time ago. Uh, my daughter was three at the time. And, you know, it's really sad because she has no memory of her father and I ever having a happy marriage. She only remembers the fighting, the bickering, you know, all, all of the bad things. Anyway, it, it came about that uh, my, my husband at the time and I, we were getting divorced. There just wasn't going to be any other way around it. We had uh, talked about counseling so many times, so many times. And we'd had, you know, arguments over it and, and reconciliations through it all. And, and anyway, it just got to this point where we were like, this, this isn't working. And the clicker for me, like the thing that kind of sealed it for me was there was a, a specific event that happened. And, and I just kind of kept telling myself, like, I would never want my daughter to think that this is how a marriage is supposed to look. I didn't want her to grow up and put herself in that situation thinking that that was normal and that that was a a good marriage. So the decision was made and uh, you know we we were attending church at the time and the church they had this specific target audience. And they said it a few times and you know it never really clicked in my head until um until it was really applied to me. But they had this target audience that they were literally seeking men ages 18 to 35. Why? Well, because they felt that men that age were the young men, the soon-to-be fathers, the new fathers, the up-and-coming next leaders of the community. And their thought process was that if they could get those men to know the Lord and they could get those men involved in the church, then, then their families would follow. They were trying to, you know, reach and create godly family leaders, which sounds great in theory. But once they found out that my husband and I had separated and were, you know, filing all the paperwork and doing all that, they approached me after church one day and they pulled me aside. I mean, they didn't do it in front of everyone, but the main lead pastor, the lead minister, and a couple of the, I don't know what they would call them. They didn't call them elders. I don't know. People of the board. I don't know. They came and they pulled me aside and they they said, you know, that our target audience, they actually called it a target audience. Our target audience is men ages 18 to 35. They then proceeded to tell me that they felt like my soon-to-be ex-husband wouldn't feel comfortable coming to church there anymore if I was continuing to go there. I was asked not to come back unless we reconciled. So I, uh, I left. My, my three-year-old daughter and I left that church. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't mean we just left that church. I mean, I left church in general for a while because that was one of the most hurtful uh, situations that I had ever been in. And it wasn't just like, you know, when you're getting divorced, there's this feeling of rejection, right? And this rejection was now twofold and maybe even threefold because my, my soon-to-be ex-husband, there was rejection on that side for me. And now the church was rejecting me. And, you know, there are family and friends who took his side, quote unquote. It's just, it's a lot of rejection. And that, that leads to a lot of hurt and really isolation. Let me tell you guys, if you're ever in that situation and the church tells you, that that they don't that they're not going to help you with this or or not even help you that they just don't want you to come anymore because you're getting divorced that's not the church for you sure divorce is 
is not a good thing. And it's not something that, you know, everyone should just throw out there flippantly. But the church should still be there to to love you and to help you through that because it's a lot. It's a lot. So if you're ever in that situation and, and your church does the same thing, it's not the church for you. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a church out there who who won't support you. And it may take time to find a place where you feel comfortable and and wanted, I guess, but but they are out there. And, you know, during the same time, an acquaintance of mine from college, and I had gone to a Christian college. So this was, you know, another Christian woman. Uh, she was just an acquaintance. She she happened to live on my dorm floor uh, while I was in college for like a year. She she was there. Anyway, when she found out that that my ex-husband and I were, were separating and divorcing, she wrote me a, a really lengthy letter telling me that I was making a huge mistake and that I needed to do whatever it took to keep my family together and to keep him happy with our marriage. Now, guys, like I said, this woman was just an acquaintance from college. This was several years beyond that. She didn't know me. She didn't know my husband. Um, she didn't know the situation. She had no idea what we were dealing with inside of our home. You know, I, I took that letter. I didn't take it to heart, but it was just like another little piece of evidence that I felt like uh, was weighing on me and that God was letting me know how displeased he was. Don't misunderstand on what I'm saying, guys. Yes, do whatever you can to keep your marriage together. When the other person has already checked out, and you've been down the road a few times already, you know, this quote unquote friend, she did nothing but heap more guilt on top of me. And, you know, my guilty conscience was already working hard on me. I felt like the biggest failure, which honestly, failure in general is my biggest fear. And here I was living it like to the extreme, you know, I had failed my husband. I felt like I was failing my daughter. I failed my church. I failed myself and I was failing God. It was just heaped on top of me. I felt like I was failing God because it felt like a deliberate sin. You know, like I, I knew that what the Bible said about divorce and yet I was still walking through those doors. And, and so it was really weighing on me. It was not a decision that was made lightly by any means. Just take it from me. You cannot judge a Christian who is getting a divorce more than they are already judging themselves. Every verse about marriage and divorce was running through my head. First Corinthians 7, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. Matthew 19, 9, what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. You know, all of these verses are just running through my head one after the other. And, and of course, that's not even talking about what happens if you get married to someone else someday, right? Because then there's a whole other slew of verses that talk about, um, that condemn that as adulteries. I have vivid memories of one night sitting on my bed after I had put my daughter to bed for the night and just sitting there holding my Bible and crying and pouring over the Bible, trying to find some relief from the guilt. You know, I'm, I'm pouring through the Psalms and other places, but a, a lot of the Psalms trying to find the verse that said that this was okay somewhere or or somewhere in the New Testament where there was some, you know, exception to the rule and and I I was okay and you know there isn't one there isn't a verse that excuses it but what there is is story after story of redemption 
you know, my first thought goes to David, who, you know, he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, he then conspired and succeeded in having her husband killed because she became pregnant. You know, God still used him and even called him a man after his own heart. How can that be? You know, I spent a lot of time looking into that because I just wanted to know like how King David, he, he messed up pretty monumentally more than just that occasion. And God still called him a man after his own heart. And that's the biggest blessing to me. David didn't just admit his sin, but he truly repented. And, and I think that's where the key is. And in response to David's repentance, uh, in 2 Samuel, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Just like that. I mean, not just like that, but there were consequences to the sin, but he was forgiven and he still had that relationship with God. And my next thought actually went to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4. Her reputation is so horrid that she's not even allowed at the well while the other women are there. You know, like they don't want to be seen with her. No man can talk to her. And that, that was pretty typical of the time. Actually, that wasn't anything just about her, but definitely her reputation preceded her, you know? So Jesus goes up to the well after he's been on a journey and he, he asks her for some water. And I'm sure she's shocked and surprised because, you know, men don't talk to her and aren't supposed to talk to her away from others. But Jesus did. And, and then he tells her that he has a drink that will cure her thirst forever. That's a little bit of a paraphrase there. He tells her to go get her husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus just says, I know you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands and the man you are with now isn't your husband at all. And the woman was just amazed. Like, clearly you are a prophet. It's I think what she called him. And he laid it all out for her, gave her the opportunity to, to come to him, to know him. And so cool that Jesus still loved her, even though she was clearly a sinful woman. And, and he still allowed her not just, he didn't just love her. He used her in his ministry. So she went back to her town exclaiming like Jesus as Messiah, right? Like telling them what, what he had done. And so many believed because of her testimony. Like how awesome is that? Not only was she forgiven, not only was she redeemed, but her story became a testimony for Christ. One that we're still talking about today, which is just pretty cool in a completely kind of different light. In the book of Joshua, we read about Rahab, who was a prostitute, who, you know, as a prostitute, she undoubtedly slept with many married men. But when Joshua sent the spies to, to her city, she recognized them as the Lord's people, and she offered them protection. And because of that, she was saved. And because of that, she went on to marry Solomon from the tribe of Judah. And her son was Boaz, who married Ruth. Yes, that Ruth. And through that marriage and on down the line, Rahab is genealogically linked to Jesus Christ himself. Not only is that kind of crazy, but like, look who's in Jesus's own family line. So what's, what's the point of all this? Well, simply stated, you know, marriage is hard work. No doubt about it. It takes two people who are both giving, you know, 100% to the commitment of the marriage. And guys, we're human. We are going to mess up. And I'm certainly not saying that divorce is okay. I fully believe that everything that God tells us to avoid, 
he tells us to avoid for a good reason. And knowing that I have personal experience with this one, I feel like I can authentically talk about this. Divorce is devastating. It's devastating to you. It's devastating to your spouse and to your kids, especially to your kids. With divorce, there's so much hurt and jealousy, pride involved, and it it makes just for very difficult situations if not everyone is on the same page. It's important to remember that divorce isn't an unforgivable sin. So it isn't like the scarlet letter that you have to wear for the rest of your life that fills you with shame and guilt. That shame and guilt, it can be overwhelming. I mean, overwhelming. Don't let Satan use that to take you away from God. Don't let the the guilt of what you're going through, and because you will, you'll feel guilty. You'll feel like you didn't do something right. You'll feel like you didn't try hard enough. You'll go through all of these things in your mind a million times. But the one thing to remember is that if you're a Christian, you're already forgiven. Don't let Satan use the guilt and the shame to pull you away from God. So what can we do? Well, if you're married, you can pray for your marriage. I don't mean to pray for your spouse. I mean, yes, do that too, please. But but pray for your marriage. Pray for the relationship between you and your spouse. If you're single, pray for your possible someday marriage. Are you divorced? Pray for yourself. Pray for your kids. Here's the tough one. Pray for your ex. Pray for your relationship with your ex, especially if you've got kids together. You've still got to co-parent and, and that doesn't just end when they turn 18. You know, there's no like countdown to the end of it. Pray for the possible someday relationships because chances are you'll be blessed with love again. Maybe the big one here, but pray for forgiveness with a repenting heart and mean it. And then realize that the blood of Jesus has already covered you and your divorce isn't going to take that away from you. You're still forgiven. The blessing of the cross wasn't taken away just because you got divorced. What can we do as a church community? You can pray for the marriages in your community. Minister to those who are divorced, who are in the process of divorce, those who, um, who, who have relationships that might be leading to divorce. Minister to those who are in the throes of it at the moment. And I'm not sure that it's something anyone who hasn't gone through it can understand. Offer sitter services to a single parent so that they can take some time for themselves. You know, if there's kids involved, you can bet that there's a parent trying to hold it all together for their kids. Offer a listening ear. Advice isn't always needed. Sometimes a person just needs to get it out and they need someone to listen to them. The big thing here, just love them. Just love them. Don't shame them. I promise they're already feeling it. Don't guilt them. I promise they're already dealing with that. Don't make them feel like more of a failure than they already are because I promise you, you can't do anything more to them than what they are already telling themselves. Just love them. You know, as I was going through this, I started out asking, you know, why don't the churches talk about this? And, and I think, you know, it kind of came to me here as I, as I was going through this, but I think I realized why. There's just this big fear of saying the wrong thing because, you know, there are definite occasions where divorce and physical separation from a spouse may be needed for safety reasons and, and you know, all of that. So you have this fear of saying the wrong thing because some person out there is listening and going, you know, I feel like I probably need to get out of this relationship, but they're up here saying divorce is a bad thing. Or on the other side of that, there's this fear of, you know, me coming up here and saying, 
that divorce isn't okay, but it's also not the end of the world. And somebody going, oh, look, that means it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay in most circumstances, but it's also not unforgivable. It's a really weird line to walk because the Bible speaks so clearly about it. And yet there's so many people who go through it. And, and it's, just, it's just not the unforgivable sin. You know, people, not to, not to say it flippantly, people sin all the time and we don't kick them out of the church for it. Or they sin all the time and we don't um, hold their, their feet to the fire about it like we do with, very, uh, with, with a few specific sins. You know, for me, talking about this today, there was this fear of making myself vulnerable all over again. And sharing all of this with you, um, kind of going through it again and, and really talking through it. If you've gone through a divorce as well, I pray you find it in yourself to bring it to God and leave it there. Forgive yourself. Forgive your ex. Lay it all at Jesus's feet. And then I pray you move on. I pray you use your experience to minister to others who are hurting from a similar pain. As a community of believers, Let's love people, especially hurting people. I hope you all have a great rest of the week, and I will talk with you all next week. Bye.